0: slash mvbible, or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word.
1: Thank you. <clears throat> the truth of the Word of God that is the the heel that we die on. The gospel, the saving grace of our Lord, the very fact of who he is and what he has done, that's what we give our life to. The world, as you well know, is going to try to shut up that truth. In all of its regulations, and all of its whatevers, the desires for the word of God to be stifled, and fall in submission to the prince of this world. I think of that situation up north constantly. I, I, I think of the situation where the enemy thinks that he's, he's doing a great job of shutting down the church. Listen, persecution brings people to Christ. Here they thought with the power of putting a, a pastor in jail that everything will go quiet now. Guess what happens when the pastor goes to jail? He starts to preach the gospel. So much so, after 30-some days in prison or in jail, he leaves the whole, his whole block in giving his interview, says that they started rattling the cages. During his times, during the recreation, Bible study happened. The word of God, the power of his people, by being obedient to the truth, This world will be shaken. Take your Bibles this morning and open them to the the book of Jonah. Jonah Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at just one verse. Uh, The clock says I have 15 minutes. You better be settled in for a little bit longer than that. But let me read the one verse. It's a a pretty pivotal verse for us to, to draw our attention to. The Word of God says this, And the Lord, Yahweh, appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Let us pray. Father, again, we marvel at at who you are and what you're doing. We count it a, a great privilege to gather, to be able to have the Word of God, pierce our souls, to to stand firm in the faith, to to trust in your goodness and kindness, even though that the world has fallen apart. Father, we hold truth, not only because of who we are, but because of who you are, because you are the definer of what is right, what is good, and what is holy. And because of that, we come with a desire to submit our souls to your word to have it teach us, to have us grow in your grace. So, Father, as we look, just even at one verse, we know this is the word of God inspired by you when our desire is to understand and to live in such accordance to it. So may you teach us through the word and through the power of the Spirit May we walk away with a desire to, to glorify you in all things and to apply what you have taught us. Be with your servant, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When we last looked at this chapter, we, it's been a couple weeks, we, we noted the various aspects of Jonah's disobedience. In particular, we saw Jonah misread his circumstances or what he thought was the providence of God. in light of his disobedient behavior. He saw his choice of running from God and what followed as a perceived favor from the hand of God. And boy, was he wrong. Thinking that a ship would take him away from the call of God because he thought he knew what was better than what God had commanded him to do, God in turn used the ship to get Jonah's attention. The sovereign God showed up in a mighty way, and we saw that in verse 4, where literally there was this hurled down, this storm from the heavens that it even made the hardened sailors of the day fearful. The lot, of course, fell on Jonah. The sailors were trying to determine exactly why did this storm come upon them, Surely, a god's behind it, at least in their their mindset. Jonah knew exactly who was behind it. And then we remember his actions in the midst of this great storm that was going to take the whole ship. The ship is about ready to break in two. The captain had called the sailors to, to pray to their gods to find favor. And what does Jonah do? He goes down to the hull of the ship and he falls asleep. It wasn't that he was at peace. In his own mind, he's thinking, this is it. Life is going to be taken from me. And so he's just going to roll over and die. Surely, as Jonah assessed the situation, he knew that God found him. And in his heart, he knew that this was it. I mean, we understand this when we think about Jonah. Jonah being a prophet of God, being called to to prophesy to the nation of Israel. He has heard of how God has dealt with disobedience in the past, especially with his people and his nation. He's also understood that the significance of, uh, and probably loved this, that, that the unbelieving Gentile nations were also under the discipline of the hand of God. So what does he do? He curls up and goes to sleep, thinking this is it. In this narrative, we we see the sailors asking, especially Jonah, when the lot fell on him, what must we do, since it's your God who brought this storm? Verse 12 tells us, Jonah saying, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on the account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Jonah is given the death sentence. He understands this. He sees the sea as his grave. And so just as Jonah predicted, verse 15 tells us that that Jonah tells the sailors that the sea will stop raging if he will just throw him overboard. That's exactly what they did. And while the sailors breathed a relief on the ship, Jonah's life hung in the balance in the water below. It's pretty remarkable to see this. The sailors understood, and they, of course, were trying to understand exactly what to do because this is innocent blood in their mind. And yet they're trying to survive themselves. And so they do as Jonah told them to do, and they threw him overboard. Now, what follows is verse 17. In our English Bibles, chapter 1 ends with this verse, verse 17. And putting verse 17 with chapter 1, just in that context of that, we we would, would understand that the actions that took place by the sailors as followed by the instructions of Jonah to throw him overboard, and then the sea grows calm and the sailors worship in some form the one true God while John disappears down the throat of a huge fish that we think that this is, this is punishment. But here's the beauty of the scriptures, beloved. The question we have to ask ourselves is what function does this great big fish have? Why did God create one this great fish to swallow Jonah. What's remarkable to me, when you look at the Hebrew Bible, by the way, you will note that verse 17 actually begins chapter 2, verse 1. You Bible students understand that the, the divisions of the scriptures, the numbering of the scriptures are not inspired. They were there for clarification and be able to point to, to scriptures and, and, and to have our understanding of where to go to when we talk about certain scriptures. But none of that is inspired. It was given there for clarification, for for understanding. And often when, when these numberings had come, the, the question is, what do we do with where do we start a new chapter? What do we end a chapter? And how all of this is flow. What's interesting to me, however, is that verse 17 is actually verse one of chapter two in the Hebrew Bible, and there's a great significance here. Why? Because what follows in Jonah's prayer is a prayer of salvation. This is remarkable. When we think about this word, and, and just to go back to the verse 17, we'll we'll allude it to there. When it says the Lord appointed, in the Hebrew, manah means to select something for purpose, for reason. In other words, God in his creation creates a great big fish for a purpose. May I say so quickly, it wasn't because of punishment. It was more for salvation. As we will see in the heart of Jonah as he turns in prayer and recognizes this. In light of when you look at the Hebrew Bible and verse 17 begins chapter 2, it is important to understand that what follows is this prayer of relief, of salvation. As Jonah goes overboard, he is thinking, this is it. And yet the beautiful thing about God and the God of the Scripture is that in the most dire times of our life, guess what? God shows up. For if we were to take this chapter division, and rightly so, we would understand the meaning of exactly what Jonah just prayed. Well, matter of fact, why don't you just follow me along. Let's take this as, as verse 1 of chapter 2. And it says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days, three nights. Very particular, very direct. This is a statement of exactly what happened to Jonah as he went overboard. And then you listen to the heart of Jonah. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you have brought up my my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." Those who regard being idols forsake their faithfulness. But, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is for the Lord. He ends this. I mean, you've got to see this picture. He gets thrown over and he knows that this is it. And he's tumbling in the deeps of the sea and weeds are wrapping around him. He's trying to figure this out. And all of a sudden, a fish walls him. And it caused within him a remembrance of the great salvation that his God has given him. Man, I mean, this is just so rich when you think about it. Too often we have in our our vision of the story of Jonah taking up residence in a fish, having a fire, eating a meal, until he finally comes to his senses. That's not the case here. He knows this is the end of life and he's grasping for air and the Lord responds. I mean, just the thought of all this, i mean, it's just remarkable to think of what God has done in the midst of it. Even in his disobedience, God goes to the extremes to bring his servant back home. I mean, I think we think of that way. I mean, we, we think that Jonah deserves everything that he got because of his disobedience. We often think often in the midst of our disobedience that God will allow us to wallow there. Only until we've learned our lesson, will he show up? Listen, even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, God says, I love you enough that I'm going to send a fish to swallow you. fish shows up divinely appointed by the hand of God. God didn't forget Jonah. Even though Jonah in all tense and pretenses of the whole understanding of his life and his disobedience even though Jonah and all of his selfish attempts to do what he wanted to do God showed up in a mighty way by appointing a fish to swallow him Beloved, the fish wasn't a punishment. The fish was salvation for him. It brought him back to the realization that God is in control. And what a joy it is to understand the depths of our Lord. That's what, what brought the reality of Jonah's prayers. The reality is he awakened his heart to this living God who goes to these ends to rescue his. Now listen, blood, I'm not saying go out and do whatever you want, do according to whatever your selfish desire, knowing that in the end God will rescue you. How foolish of a thought is that? But what I'm telling you is that when you think about Christ, when you think about our great Savior, this great God of ours, and for those who know him, who have turned to him in faith and have trusted him as their Lord and Savior, I want you to see the depths of the love of God and all that goes through his being and his providence and his power to keep you, keep you his. It's remarkable to think even in our greatest disobedience, God can right the ship with a swallowing of a fish. Remarkable. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 18 where where our Lord points to the same truth that we see here doing the life of Jonah. Remember when Jesus was speaking in Matthew 18 when he says, What do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and, and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who was in heaven that the one of these little ones would perish. I want you to stretch your theology. I want you to grasp an understanding of how awesome the salvation that Christ has brought you and the assurance that he brings that he will keep you not because of who you are I mean we look at Jonah he deserves everything he gets he's very disobedient he needs a spanking he needs the rod but our God in his character upholds his salvation in such a way that not even the waves of the sea will diminish his relationship with his children. Not only in the redemption of our souls, but, but even in our complete disobedience to him, he's still in control. He still moves his creation in a place to save, to reconcile, and bring the truth back into our minds and hearts. That's what God does. I mean, that was the purpose of the great big fish. It was there on display so God can show his glory and his character in the life of Jonah. So in turn, it would bring the heart of a disobedient man to a point of praise. That Jonah would not forget that he is in utter control of all things. Romans 8.28 echoes in my heart here. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. A big fish. This is a truth that a lot of times the, even the skeptic has a hard time believing. A fish swallowing a man Really what's at stake here, as you think about the veracity of the truthfulness of Scripture, this is what's at stake here. Can we believe that that this actually happened? And let me just say this really clearly. Yes, we can. Because of a great God, of a mighty God, who has created all things, that can create even a big fish to swallow a man, a disobedient man at that, and rescue him and save him. The simplicity of the scriptures is, is that God is God and He can sovereignly do more than what our rational minds can think He can do. Is He supernatural? You better believe it. He is Lord, He's Creator, He's Sustainer of all things. There's nothing for God to create and supply this big fish to swallow Jonah for His purposes. I read this, I just marvel at the mightiness of our God. But for you scientific folk, your hearts are still kind of wrestling with this, right? Is there a great fish large enough to swallow a man whole? Of course, the answer it is yes. I was looking at some of this and, and, and trying to understand it and, and trying to put some things together. And so I want to pull out some things for you. We know that there are wells, blue and sperm, right? Even sharks, great white sharks, well sharks, that can swallow a whole man. In particular, the sperm well grows to a length of up to 70 feet. Get this. My daughter thought I was strange last night. I told her, go get a tape measure. I want you to measure my shoulders. And she said, Dad, what are we doing here? I asked her measure my width. She said, you know, Dad, it's roughly about 20 20 inches wide. I said, okay. So I measured her shoulders. Guess what? Roughly 20 inches wide. Do you understand that the esophagus alone of a sperm whale is 20 inches wide? When I told her what I'm trying to do here, trying to understand, could this be possible? She looked at me and says, wow. And I say the same thing, wow. Could a sperm whale actually swallow? I mean, it doesn't have to chew, just swallow? A person 20 inches wide, absolutely. Let's go a little bit further. Could someone survive in the belly of a, of a well or a fish, a great big fish, three days and three nights? Listen, what do wells do when they rise to the surface, breathing in air? So, it's to be contained so they can go down to the depths of the deal. And so, you think about what the air, the whale is trying to do and bringing oxygen to its lungs, the ability for Jonah to have some of that air. Absolutely. But what about the digestive juices in the big fish, right? I don't know why I think about this. When I up, open a fish, often when we've hunted a deer and the stomach and what's inside of it and the gases and everything that it takes. And I'm thinking, how in the world could he ever survive that? Well, it's reported when whales swallow food, it travels through the esophagus to a multi-chamber stomach, much like that of a cow, right? The first stomach of the chamber is a sac-like extension, scientists tell us, of the esophagus, and the food is crushed. It is in the second chamber, that the digestive juices further break down the food. But think about this. If Jonah was to remain in the first chamber, all he needed to be worried about is making sure that he wasn't crushed. I mean, time and time again, science bows at the creation of God. The bottom line God needed to save his disobedient prophet. And God prepared, created a fish to do such a thing so as to get his attention. I think all of that can help us to be all the more, but I really don't need that science to understand how big God is. The purpose of the fish was to remind Jonah that God is not only sovereign, but he is salvation. Which in turn leads me to the second point. And and point two and three kind of go hand in hand, because if you were to look at this verse, we know that our Lord in himself in Matthew 12 points to this illustration as a sign for what he is going to do. And so Jonah seems to be like a, a, a type of what Christ will fulfill in a greater way, and so I thought I was only right, and just we'll go to class here a little bit and look at hermeneutics and understand typology, which by the way, this tool is the most used and abused tool in all of scriptures, and when men apply it to make something a type where God doesn't, and so this is an important understanding. I know some scholars who make everything a type in the Old Testament and point to a a reason for it in the New Testament. There's the other extreme, yes, where scholars believe that there's no such thing as a type. The problem is that the Scripture calls it a type. I think there's some middle ground here for the student to take. On the one hand, the simple point is In our understanding of typology is making something a type that the scriptures don't. That's a danger uh, for us to interpret. We need to make sure that we don't make the scripture say something it doesn't. On the other hand, if there's something prefigured as a type in the Old Testament, and often we see this with our Lord Jesus Christ himself, it prefigures something (coughs) that we can see in Christ in a greater way. Let me define type for us. A biblical hermeneutic says this. It says that a type is an Old Testament person, animal, or object, or event, which first has its place and design in an actual historical situation, but at the same time is specifically intended by God to prefigure something greater down the line. And like I said, predominantly this happens with our regard and understanding of Christ. When we think about Exodus chapter 12, where where God calls the Israelites to put blood over the lintels, that the angel of death will pass over those doors because there was a blood sacrifice. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that Christ is this fulfillment. He is the Passover. He is the one who will take the sins of the world, shed his blood, and people will live. I mean, they're they're throughout the scriptures. I think of also like the first Adam in in the book of Genesis. And then you have Christ being called the last Adam, as we know as as Christ. Romans 5.14 points to that. Look to the screen. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. I think of that Passover situation and that example. I think of 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where it says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ are see this exchange, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. I think the beautiful thing to do here is is when you think about types, is that the scriptures often help us understand what is a type and what is not. A type, to make sense, must be cohesive with the scriptures. Let me say it this way. There's no robe type out there. It must be supported by the scriptures. I think of typology when it comes to even ecclesiology, when it comes to the covenants, I, I think about those situations where you've probably heard that that the church replaces Israel. Israel is a type of what the church is going to become and thus replaces it. But but beloved, you've got to have scriptures that point to that. And nowhere do I see that. Matter of fact, the very presence of Israel today and the very fact of God and his covenants being cut with Israel shows us a sign that, that God is, is still dealing with Israel. There's much to be said about that, but that's one of the dangers of trying to make something that we see in the New Testament. The church was a New Testament mystery that God revealed. It wasn't a type of Israel. It was the grace of God allowing the the gospel to go to to Gentile people. I want to get to this and, and understanding a little bit about typology, understanding how Jesus uses this. When we read and look to the screen, Matthew 12, verse 38 through 42, Jesus says this, And some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. I mean, they were all about signs. But he answered and said to them, An evil, adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus is looking at the, the Pharisees and the scribes and says, I'm it. I'm it. In comparison of, of Matthew 12, and in light of Jonah one seventeen, for a way of reference, Jesus compares himself with with three respects to Jonah. One of them being that he would be entombed. Jonah's case, the belly of a great fish. Jesus' case, three days in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah was a preacher of repentance to Nineveh, so one greater than Jonah has come preaching repentance. And Jesus preached that constantly and constantly and constantly. Just as Jonah and his preaching was assigned to the Ninevites, so too Jesus and his preaching are assigned to the present generation to repent and believe. And then third, just as Jonah's preaching was validated by this deliverance from the fish, this is what's remarkable. When we get to verse 10 of of Jonah chapter 2, it says that God literally caused the fish to vomit Jonah out of its belly. But when we think about Jesus, being dead for three days, the resurrection and the power thereof points to this greater reality of who we have in Christ Jesus. Listen, the supernatural, the very fact that Jesus points to this sign as being what will be a sign given to the people that they must see and understand points not only to the validity of Jonah and that truth, but the greatness of our God. When we think about redemption, when we think about what he has done, when we think about all that he is, Jesus is greater than Jonah. For that matter, when you look at the whole scriptures, Jesus is the victor. He's the hero. He's the champion of the Bible. No other name greater than Jesus. Oh yes, we we can marvel at the hand of God in Jonah and all that was a type to point us to Jesus who is supreme. But beloved, I don't want you to miss as much as you you rejoice in the theology of understanding that God will, will pursue you to the utter ends of the world, that there's a Savior already present that is greater than all that. Colossians 1 tells us this, speaking about Jesus, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. I mean, how can I not get to Christ? If he's greater than Jonah, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the protocost of all creation. He is supreme, is what that's saying. For by him all things were created... both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him. I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Listen, Jesus is the head of the church. That's why it's so significant that we go to church. He died for us. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the people. He died for us. He's the head of the church. That's why we don't waver when it comes to assembling. had a conversation with, with, with a dear lady. I think she's trying to figure out life. She is tired of church. I said, listen, you don't understand who who is head of the church. Yes, I can get tired of this. Aren't you tired of me? But I can't get tired of him. And if he is the head of the gathered body of church, that is the place that we desire to be. That's the place where I want to be. And so should you. God rescued Jonah, but he sent someone who was greater than Jonah. God sent a fish, God sent a son. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. That's why we come in praise. That's why we come in fellowship. That's why we use the spiritual gifts given to us because Christ is the head of the church. And listen, his truth far outweighs whatever government says. Listen, if you don't know this Savior that I'm preaching about, your soul's at great stake. As you are tossed by the winds of the waves of the world and and, and what to do in life and what you can go and what you can't do, listen, there's a Savior named Jesus Christ who desires for you to come to Him, repent and believe. Beloved, may we be so engaged in walking his ways and trusting his truth that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Hello, fired up. But may we understand the importance of the days that we live in. Your faith is required of you. The world wants to shut you up, but will you stand for Christ? That's the joy of of having a plurality of elders. They know that when they come and get your pastor, somebody will stand up. And when they take those other four elders, I expect somebody from the congregation to stand up and to preach Christ crucified, preach Christ risen, and preach Christ for salvation. I don't know about you, my perspective on this, and, and I understand the everything that people are trying to navigate and, and all this kind of things. But Lord willing, the doors of this place will always be open. Why? Because we need to hear Christ. We need to study the scriptures. We need to gather. What does that look like in the future? I don't know. but may we come and gather in such a way because we love Jesus Christ. May we sit underneath His teaching and His Word and may we stand in its truth and walk in its truth so that He may receive all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen? Father, again, we thank You for a full day. A day for us to consider Your goodness, Your kindness, not only through communion, but through the teaching of the Word. We've sung songs, we have lifted our voices with great delight towards heaven, towards the one who has redeemed us, toward the one who has saved us. Father, continue to embolden us. We see the handwriting on the wall, the world wants to shut down all the truth that you have proclaimed. Father, may you find us faithful the days are coming when that will be put to the test. My prayer is, Father, that in the power of the Spirit may we stand. May we resist. May we hold firm to what you have said knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our lives have already been bought with a price. What do we have to lose in this life? Oh, we have so much more to gain. Help us to stand for truth and for righteousness. We thank you for the fact and reality that you are a God who goes to the utter ends to restore, to save, to bring back. That's the God we worship. And so I pray, Lord, that the convictions that we hold dearly in our souls, arise to the surface in these challenging days. May we hold on to what is eternal, what is right, what is good. May we point to the one who can save. To you alone, Jesus, be the glory, honor, and praise. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ who has given us life, who has forgiven us of our sins, who has given us grace. We pray In the mighty Savior's name, Jesus Christ our Lord, and all the people said, Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com. Slash MV Bible or YouTube at youtube.com slash MV Bible.